0: Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Well, I wonder how you do conflict. How do you fight with the people in your world? Hey, I thought since it's Mother's Day, I would share with you how I fought with my mum growing up. I do have her permission to share this, and. As a teenager and a young adult, let's say that things got a little fiery in our house at times. My mum and I, we feel things big and we let them out. And I can remember a particular moment in time when Mike and I were newly dating. We hadn't been together long and he came over for dinner. And it was dinner for mum, dad, my brother and I and Mike. And somewhere over the course of the meal, something was said that mum and I didn't see eye to eye. I can't actually remember what it was, and often that's the case, isn't it, when we argue and fight? We don't really know sometimes where it started. But things were said, and they got louder, and we got angrier, and it was, you did this, and I hate that, and that's not fair, and like, there was a lot of emotion shared between mum and I. And very quickly, we agreed to disagree. We said sorry, forgave each other, and next thing you know, I'm saying, Mum, can I make you a cup of tea? And Mike was literally like, what have I just witnessed? Oh my goodness. Thankfully, it didn't scare him off. We're still married 20 years on. But that is how I grew up doing fights. My mum and I, we feel big, we feel it out loud, and we move on really fast. Not everyone fights like that. Plenty of people don't want to go near it. Plenty of people want to put it under the carpet and ignore it. And I recognize that we are all wired differently. We all deal with conflict in a whole variety of ways. We are different people. And relationships can be tricky. Relationships can be a source of joy and they can be a source of pain. And so as we are sitting in this series, this whole big series this year around Restore, We want to intentionally spend the next three weeks where we want to look at restoring relationships, how God wants to restore relationships. And rather than tackle different types of relationships like marriage or parenting, we want to look at different aspects in relationships. And so our hope and prayer is that whatever relationship you find yourself in, you can take these aspects that we learn from God's Word and you can apply it into what you're doing and living. And so today, we are looking at fighting fair. how to deal with conflict. Because conflict is inevitable. Conflict occurs in relationships. And if it's actually done well, in a healthy way, conflict can help cause a relationship to become stronger and actually go deeper. So what does Jesus say about conflict? Well, he teaches us to deal with it rather than ignoring it. We read in Matthew 5, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then, come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying there's no point putting a face on and worshiping like it's all good when stuff is going on. Go deal with your stuff. It's really important to deal with our conflict, deal with our arguments, not ignore them and keep moving on in life. Jesus goes on in Matthew 18 where he talks about when there's a problem between a brother or sister, we need to confront each other before we bring everyone else in. We should go one-on-one and talk and try and resolve and acknowledge, not ignore it. If we read Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter four, he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it. Deal with our conflict. Deal with the fights. Deal with the stuff. Don't ignore it. If we look back at the beginning of this year, we started in February this big theme of restore. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, watched those sermons, whether you're online or in the room, you can go back and look at what we talked about in February. We talked about how our God longs to restore our relationship with him, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. And part of what I spoke about in in that time was that we actually need to acknowledge the reality we find ourselves in. There is no point ignoring what's going on. Part of the restorative process is having the courage to acknowledge our reality, to deal with it rather than ignore it. So if God's word says we need to deal with stuff, not ignore it, how do we do this in a healthy way? And I want to share three ideas today to help us as we step to what God has for us. And the very first thing we need to do when we find ourselves in a place of conflict or fighting with someone is to listen first. Before anything else is to listen first. We read in James 1 chapter uh, verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Quick to To listen, listen first. Or as Proverbs says it, Proverbs 18, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Only the foolish is going to be busy saying, I want to tell you what I'm thinking all the time, and not stop and listen. If we want to be wise, we need to listen first. We need to slow down enough to hear what the other has to say. Before we defend or prove our point or want to say what we need to say, we need to listen first. We have two ears, one mouth. The proportion of listening should be at least double. We need to listen first. And often that means putting down distractions, putting down our phones, actually making eye contact with the other person, saying, you matter, I'm going to listen to all you have to say and try and understand what you're thinking and what you're feeling. It can be really helpful when you're listening rather than being opposing each other so you feel like it's me versus you to sit side by side. And so there's that sense of while I'm listening, I'm on your team, the problem's out here. It's us versus the problem, not you versus me. It's us versus the problem. And as I listen to you, I wanna hear your side of the problem we're both trying to fix. We need to be people who listen first. And to listen with the intent of understanding, not trying to trap or trick or think, how am I going to get back to that one? I'm going to say that again. Actually to listen to understand how the other feels, to consider what they're going through, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And when we listen like that, that actually requires selflessness. It requires us to value the relationship over being right, which is a really hard stance to take. Because I like being right. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of us do. But when we value the relationship over being right, we have a posture that says, I'm listening to what you have to say. We need to be people who listen first. I want us to take a moment right now just to stop. I want you to consider, you might be someone who wants to close your eyes to be able to do this, whether you're online or in the room, just to stop and think about a conflict situation. Maybe it's live time for you right now, a person or a situation. Have you really listened to their feelings? Have you asked them how they feel? Have you even asked them how you make them feel? What would it look like to consider how they feel, and to pray for them. Right now, even if you're carrying hurt and you've been wronged, pray for them. Pray a blessing over them. Pray a blessing over the situation. Okay, we get to listen first. We're called to be people who are quick to listen. And then we do need to speak but when we do so, we need to speak carefully, because what we say and how we say it, it actually really matters, especially in the space of conflict. James 1:26 says, "Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless." If we don't control our tongue, our religion is worthless. And James chapter 3 goes on about how we need to tame the tongue, control the tongue. It matters what we say. If we love Jesus, how we use our tongue, he's saying this really, really matters. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about speaking the truth and doing it in love. Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. Verse 29 goes on, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I am so convinced that what we say and how we say matters to God. He cares about what comes out of our mouth. We're told to speak the truth, not to exaggerate, not to speak in absolutes, not to say you always or you never. Because if we're honest, very rarely does someone always or never. To speak the truth, it matters. Not exaggerating, not looking to blame, but actually consider when could I say sorry? What part of this could I own and step towards and apologise? Not to manipulate, actually speak what is true. And sometimes it can be helpful to use I statements as we deliver the truth to someone, say, I'm feeling this or I've noticed this. Not blaming, but sharing what is true. And then how we do it, not just what we say, but how we do it matters so much. Paul talks about speaking the truth in love, showing kindness and compassion. How we speak really, really matters. And I'm saying this to me as much as to you. I do not nail this all the time. It is hard to control our tongue. That's why it's written about in God's Word. It's that important. But how we speak truly matters. There are times when silence is better. Sometimes I ask myself, if it's not going to help, does it need to be said? A simple question, but really significant. If it's not going to help, does it need to be said? You know, Thumper, Thumper's mum in Bambi said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. She was really wise. <laughs> There's truth in that. If it's not helpful, actually taming the tongue, self-control might just be shutting our mouth thinking before we speak. And in that moment, calling out to God, a simple breath prayer before we speak, clenching our mouth closed and saying, God, help me, in our head, not out loud. But actually just before we speak, God, help me. Control my tongue, God. Control my tongue, God. What we say and how we say it, it really matters. We need to be people who speak carefully. I want you to picture that situation again, that conflict, that person, Take a moment to picture it again. What could you say to them to help them accurately and truthfully know how you feel? And how could you phrase it to speak the truth in love and kindness? What's the truth that needs to be shared? Not the manipulation or deceit or lies or blaming. What's the truth? And how can it be done with kindness? Listen first, speak carefully. God's word is so practical because he longs for us to grow in how we live our life for him. But, you know, we're not robots. We don't just, you know, kind of tick the box, get it done. We're going to do it differently. We all have different personalities and different ways of doing things. And that's good and right. In fact, Tim Dyer, he talks about conflict styles in terms of animals, which can be really helpful to consider and think about what is your natural tendency to know how you're going to respond in a certain conflict. And that can be good and bad. All styles can be helpful, but it's recognising when the issue is more important or when the relationship is more important. These animals are going to come up on the screen behind me. I want you to consider what you might be. Not what your spouse or your parent or your children are, not into blaming them. (laughs) Consider what animal you might be. You have the bull. The bull is very headstrong and aggressive and making a way. The bull says, it's my way. The koala is very supportive and accommodating, kind of cuddles it out. The koala's all about your way. The turtle, well, self-explanatory, hey? The turtle is retreating and out of there. The turtle says, there is no way we're going forward. The owl is around collaborating, working together in a slower speed and some wisdom, and the owl is looking for our way. And then the fox is all about fast moving, compromise, getting it all together, finding the halfway point. I wonder what your natural tendency is. I wonder where you might find yourself if you think about this. And as I said, all of these different ways can be helpful. There are times when the issue is significant and we need a bull to get it done. There are times when we want a koala to cuddle it out and find a way. There are times when a fast-moving fox is essential to find a compromise. They can all be good and right. In fact, Jesus showed us different ways to deal with relationships and conflict. He showed us it was okay to get angry. He walked alongside people know your tendencies and also know when it's your sweet spot to step in and be that person and maybe when actually your response isn't the best in the moment and that's the Jesus guard my tongue, keep me silent moment. It's okay to be who we are, but be that with God's wisdom and guarding. And what I love is that we consider the issue and the relationship and actually Jesus showed us how both are important. I want you to take your left hand. I want you to make a fist. You can do this. This is participation time. Make a fist. In your left hand is your values, your convictions, the things that are important to you and you will not compromise on. For me, this is following Jesus. This is following his plan for my life. Non-compromising. Now, you don't have a microphone, so you can keep this one and do this. I want you to keep your left hand. Extend your right hand as if you're going to shake someone's hand. Extending grace, you're extending relationship. Do you know what we can do? We can actually hold conviction and relationship at the same time. We can hold conviction. We can hold true to what matters, our values, the things we don't want to compromise, and at the same time extend a hand of grace, extend relationship just as Jesus did, holding true to his calling and at the same time walking alongside people. We can hold true to our convictions and the issues at hand and care about the relationship. We need to be people who listen first, who speak carefully, and then we need to forgive freely. And to be honest, this can be the tricky one. This can be where we can find ourselves stuck. Because if we don't forgive others when we've been wronged and hurt, we can end up with bitterness and anger and resentment But the antidote to all of that is forgiveness and it is tricky and it is hard but Jesus speaks firmly about this. In Matthew 18 Jesus speaks about forgiveness and he says that it's not a number it's a heart attitude. And then he goes on to speak a parable explaining what unforgiveness looks like in God's eyes. He talks about how there was a master With a servant, and this servant owed the master an astronomical amount of money. Like it was insane, the debt. He was never going to be able to pay it off. In today's terms, it would have been millions of dollars. And this servant comes to the master begging, Please show me grace. I can't repay that. And the master says, Your debt is cancelled. You're forgiven. You're done. Go be free. So this servant then goes off and comes across another person. Who owes him a small amount of money? That's not insignificant. It would have been a day's wage, so one day's worth of money earned, but it was nowhere near the same amount that the servant owed the master. And when this man begs the servant with exactly the same language, asking, please forgive me the debt, the servant says, No, no, I'm not forgiving you that at all. You're in jail, done with you. You owe me. I won't forgive. Word gets out to the master that this is what the servant has done and he comes back and the master asks the servant, why? Why could you not forgive the little owed to you when I forgave you that debt? And the question for the servant is really one for us today. Why? Why do we get stuck and struggle to forgive others who wrong us when Jesus has forgiven us so much? And I think... Part of it is that we underestimate the amount we've been forgiven. You know, we can see this. The servant has been forgiven so much. Surely that huge debt he was forgiven would mean that he would naturally forgive another. But he just doesn't seem to comprehend the scope of the forgiveness. And I wonder if we too end up the same sometimes. We forget or we misunderstand the depth of God's love and sacrifice and what he's forgiven us. You know, Paul talks about the fact that all of us need God to save us. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are in the same situation. God is perfect. We can't save ourselves. He has forgiven us everything. Everything we have is because of Him. We are in debt to Him. And when we grasp that, it changes us. But I think so often... We think, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing a good life. I'm, I'm mostly really good and I just need God's help a little bit of the time. If we think like that, we're no different to the servant. I'm doing fine, just need a little bit of help. God's grace has saved us. We can never be with a perfect God because we are imperfect. But everything God has done through his son invites us into that relationship he's forgiven us everything we owe it to him and when we grasp how much we've been forgiven our capacity to forgive changes because it's influenced by our experience of forgiveness If we actually allow the Holy Spirit to really transform us and help us grasp the magnitude of everything God has done for us when that hits home we can't help but be changed We can't help but be transformed and we are called, we are told to forgive freely. I think the second reason though that we struggle to forgive is because we've been deeply hurt. If we're honest, whether it's a current situation or something in the past, I'd imagine all of us have had somewhere sometime where someone has wronged us and hurt us. And when we are hurt, when we are wronged, we feel like someone has taken something from us and they owe us. And I think if we're honest, at times we don't even want to forgive, we'd really rather revenge. Sometimes that's where we can find ourselves. And I recognise today for some of you, when I'm saying we need to be people who forgive, you're like, you do not understand the wounds and the hurts and the scars. Some may well have been abused. And the thought of forgiving someone seems completely impossible. You know, Jesus knows what it's like to forgive those who did the most horrific things to him. You think about it, the night before he died, he washed the feet of Judas who was about to betray him. He knew full well what Judas was going to do, and yet he washed his feet. Jesus on the cross forgave the Roman soldiers who did that to him. He knows what it's like to forgive those who've done horrific things. And I don't want to minimise the pain that you might be going through. And I recognise that justice matters. In fact, that's why Jesus had to die, because someone has to pay the price. And Jesus has paid the price for our sin and for everyone's. The debt has been paid. And that's why forgiveness, it's a choice, it's an attitude, it's a value we can choose to participate in. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not excusing, but forgiveness is a choice. It's an attitude. We can put it into practice even when we've been wronged. And I recognise for some there might be something significant and large that you need to actually choose to forgive. For others, it might be lots of small repeated patterns. Maybe someone you're living with that you need to forgive lots and often. Whatever it is, forgiveness is a choice, And if we're going to face conflict well, if we're going to fight well, we need to forgive freely. You know, the term for forgiveness in Greek actually means to let go. So often we think that forgiving is actually for the benefit of the accuser, the offender, the perpetrator. But actually the benefit is for us. When we forgive, we let go. We find freedom. When we forgive, we receive the gift of freedom because we let it go. The thing no longer has power over us. And I recognise that sometimes we have to choose to forgive those who don't even acknowledge what they've done to us. Maybe they never come and apologise or they never come and repent. We have to choose to forgive even without the other party recognising. But you know, God sent Jesus to earth before any of us repented. He initiated. He stepped towards. We need to be people who offer forgiveness before and without repentance. I love what Andy Stanley says, In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, Forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. Forgiveness is a gift that we can choose to give another and it sets us free. I want you to take a moment again to picture that person, that situation. Maybe close your eyes if it helps. And as you think about that situation, I want you to name in your head and your heart right now Name what happened. Name the injustice. Name the offence. Name what they did to wrong you. And now cancel the debt. Name that. Say that. The debt is gone. The debt is cancelled. Jesus died for that wrongdoing. He's paid the debt. We choose to forgive and cancel the debt today. And I recognise that that is not easy. It is not simple. It is a journey and a process. But it's what our Lord teaches us and shows us. That if we want to fight fair, if we want to face conflict well and in a healthy way, we have to listen first. We need to speak carefully because what we say and how we say it matters. And we are called to forgive freely. That's where we're going to experience freedom. But you know, restoring relationships, it only happens with the power of the Holy Spirit. Whilst they are great tools and they're straight from God's Word and that's excellent advice in our own strength and of ourselves, we cannot manufacture restoration. We need the power of the Spirit. We need to posture ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit's power. We work together with what God is doing. And so we posture ourselves to listen first we choose to listen first to the other but at the same time we ask for the Holy Spirit's power we say God give me your heart give me your ears help me listen Holy Spirit fill me we posture ourselves to speak carefully to slow down to think before we speak but at the same time we need the Holy Spirit's power to guard our tongue to give us self-control we cry out to Him We posture ourselves to forgive freely. We choose to be people who forgive. And at the same time, we ask the Spirit to fill us with grace and forgiveness, to overflow in us, to give us everything we need, because in our own strength, we cannot do this. But as the Holy Spirit moves in us, He longs to restore relationships, to do more than we could ask or imagine. Are we going to be people who respond to His Word, who posture ourselves in such a way and ask for His Spirit to move in power? Let's pray.